welcome to another episode of the netmega assist podcast brought to you by the netmega assist prithvik here the host as always and i'm joined today by our returning co-host sudesh welcome back sudesh it's been quite a while since i've spoken with you on a podcast so welcome back yeah thank you so much prithvik and it always feels good to be back here i might sound repetitive because I always say this but genuinely I feel very <laughs> pleased when I'm back in the pod and how have you been how's life it's great it's great it's great here in the UK a change of scenery is always great and yeah it's it's a fun place to be and this is going to be a really interesting topic for you the ones that we want to cover today especially the first one the second one is particularly interesting topic for me because I'm going to be looking at my all-time favorite footballer who is currently a manager We'll come to that, but we'll start with Xavi returning back to Barcelona. We've spoken about Barcelona a lot of times on our podcast. I think if you look at every single podcast that we've done, I think Barcelona might probably be the club that we covered the most, honestly, because there's so much to talk about them. Because you get this big breaking news every now and then, negative. a few positives probably more negatives in the past 2 3 years because of various incidents but xavi returning to barcelona is quite positive what are your what are your initial thoughts on it because we we discussed this like quite a while back to be honest so what what are your yes. first thoughts on it yeah yeah first thought was maybe this is a bit too early uh, considering our follow xavi's alsat for a year in and out and i've done that quite in detail and fair to say they've not lost any fixture that I've watched uh, till date you know they're unbeaten for 36 matches and they are quite a side to look for in the Qatari league but still uh, when a big job like Barcelona comes knocking in you always have that level of doubt that this might be a bit too early for a coach like Xavi who's just two and a half years in uh, his coaching career and he was just a player before and then he took the realms in the 1920 season he finished third and then this has been two seasons that he's been sound and getting that stability in his side so first thought i thought it was a little bit early but you know when a club legend comes home there's always a you know air of optimism hope and i think that undershadows everything so right now i'm hopeful and i'm very happy that chavi is in barcelona but first thought i thought it was a little too early and maybe 2022 or 2023 or at least allow the site to be stabilized and not invite someone like chavi in amidst a crisis which took ronald kuman with it uh, would be a fair decision so i thought it was too early but yeah and anyways what happened happened for good and i think i hope where good for the good ways you know back again and i mean talking about ronald kuman should he have been gone in the summer because you've done this huge change you made this huge change in in almost it's it's almost mid season now because we're into the i mean the major part of the season i mean major starting part of the season and barcelona of course are in huge crisis right now especially you you have a huge chance of getting knocked out of the champions league which is going to be a huge hit financially as well as like on a on a football on a footballing basis as well considering the institution barcelona but do you think xavi should have probably 
been lured back in the summer because he would have got a proper preseason with the players he could have like got his time to implement his you know his authority on the team implement his tactical blueprints on the team he would have at least got some time to do that and then start the season i don't know probably like it's always great to have a, a new manager before preseason so that they get a proper preseason to get the players ready and it it's it's always it always takes time for the new manager to really imprint, i mean get their tactical imprint on the team as well so do you think it's probably a wrong time to a point chavi especially i mean considering you are currently in a huge crisis yeah i mean my first point that i made about initially doubting jabi stupi in barcelona came from the fact that this might be a very wrong time to lure him in because i don't think any player in the world has had that level of expectations at chavi the moment he left barcelona in 2015 he was always expected to make a comeback in one way or the other he was always groomed to be a barcelona coach and everyone expected him to be uh, a coach and in a sense world football completely changed after pep guardiola i mean you can see with managerial appointments every single team in planet wants to find its own pep guardiola wants to find someone from their own club who could rescue them from the crisis uh, be it uh, ole at man united or frank lampard at chelsea so i th- i thought this was a follow up to just that, that you know syndrome of finding coaches and trying to find pep guardiola and thankfully pep guardiola happened at barcelona too so my my first doubt and everything that i first thought would come from a very calculated point of view because i'm here in qatar and i was quite following this saga very closely and uh, i think this would be an interesting uh, insight to the viewers because this was the first saga that i ever uh, got a first hand account of and was com- uh, constantly updating things and i was getting out news before the club sources and here's why it uh, kind of didn't make sense in the beginning um you know when first uh, barcelona sacked ronald koeman there were areas of chavi going to barcelona and rumors flowing all around amidst the night i think ronald koeman was sacked um at like 1 a.m catalan time which is not a very conventional time especially to sack a manager you know so and then um, rumors were all around uh chavi's uh alsad were facing al arabi uh and as their next match al arabi are now third in the table and they are quite a competition not that as great as al duhel but are a competition and in the press conference chavi said i'm not um uh, gonna comment on any of this you know i'm just gonna focus on the next match and there was a hint of something like uh, the beginning of 2020 happening when ernesto valverde was sacked and barcelona went for chavi he clearly said i'm not ready yet let me have my time so there was a hint of that factor coming in and also they were also very 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 confident about chavi staying but uh with the sources that i had i understood that they would respect whatever chavi would take whatever chavi would decide for them so it, there always was a possibility of chavi coming home and then i thought 2022 summer was a very realistic time to get chavi in because right now it's mid mid the uh, amidst of the season and Xavi is constructing his own team right now so uh, him taking barcelona is a big challenge but him leaving alsad in this phase 
is also a big challenge for Ulsan. So no club in the world would want that. Uh, you know, you kind of create an identity with a coach and then you leave him in the season without any tangible thing. And for uh, by tangible thing, uh, for Ulsan, a tangible thing means AFC Champions League. That's the realistic price that they want to go for. Uh, and, you know, 2022 summer, the World Cup would finish. And we need to remember that Xavi is just more than an outside coach here in Qatar. Uh, he's the World Cup ambassador. And that's why there were so many ties related to Xavi's transfer, which I didn't see getting, uh, you know, lose anytime soon. I th- still thought Sergi Bajuan would continue as Barcelona coach. So, so it happened. And then... When Barcelona were kind of serious with their uh, thing, when uh, the sporting director came to Qatar, uh, Alumni and then, you know, uh, Yuste came in Qatar, even amidst the match, Al-Sad were facing Al Duhel and it was fifth minute and Al-Sad rolled out a statement saying, we are committed to uh, keep Xavi. If Barcelona want to take it, we respect you, but we're keeping Xavi. So that increased doubts, but there were there was always a clause, as I mentioned, you know. And then 2022, also uh, would go into the Champions League, and then uh, in the summer, uh, you know, there there's like a big gap after the 2022 summer that all the national team players would go f- uh, for the national team, and then you know, also has like seven or eight main players who play for the Qatar national team. So that would probably be a good window that Jabi could bid farewell to his player and then go and then also could also transition. So uh, it was a very complex saga in a sense that it was not as fair as, uh, you know, it was not as simple as the media perceived it, you know, just two sporting directors, three win, and then they took Xavi. It was a lot of ties involved when we see it from this side around, from this side around. Even, uh, you know, media coordinator from Alsat said, if you want to take it, you need to at least have a bid on the table. So it was uh, an instance where we again saw Barcelona's incompetence come into things, but they blew Xavi in. So it, it's... It was, um, in a sense, not the kind of homecoming that you would expect. You know, it would a typical homecoming would be a manager getting a farewell, and then another manager taking over. And even though they they would be in crisis, a manager would have some time to work on. And I don't think for Chabi, ten days is an ideal time that he would get if he was to take over a job that he was expected to take over forever. I would say because uh, six years it has been. So yeah, uh, I think I would ideally like him to take over the next sum- next summer. But uh, at the same time, I think Ronald Koeman took the job in a similar position. He knew he was always going to be in danger, and he knew he was always going to get sacked one day or the other. And he knew, even though Joan Laporta assured him that we're continuing with you this summer, he knew his job was in uh, trouble and. Results would decide. Individual results would decide if he was going to stay in Barcelona or not. So it was an area of incident, you know, and not anything that happened in the situation was ideal, except for the fact that a club legend who has done fairly well in his managerial career till they has returned home. So, yeah. Uh, it, it 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 do be like that sometimes around, you know, when your club is in crisis. Mm, that those are pretty fair points, and I mean, I I, I did like saw a few tweets of yours where you mentioned how the saga is pretty funny. Um, it's always complex with Barcelona, the way they deal. Uh, so uh, it, it was pretty much obvious how how hard it would have been to negotiate with Al Saad, considering, considering that Qatar hosting the World Cup next year, and they would have loved to have Xavi there, at least 
until next summer so that he could promote more of the world more, more for the world cup but here is Xavi now Barcelona conducting training sessions already Dani Alves another legend back at the club free agent and it's quite funny because Dani Alves is 38 I've seen Barcelona fans celebrate his return I've never seen a 38 year old player's return being celebrated as much as they have as much as it has been in Dani Alves's case and it's not even completely wrong to say that Dani Alves could still be one of the key players in the team footballing wise so that probably tells you a bit about the squad but but before like asking you this question which has which has been put by our patron data about which players you think barcelona might revive i mean savvy might revive to be honest but can you just give us an idea of the kind of approach that chavi has and what do you think is going to be the way that barcelona plays maybe you know the shape the roles and because formations are pretty much it's outdated <laughs> yeah formations are pretty much outdated and they're just numbers by now and uh, us being a part of the twitter analytics community like you know community it, it it's always it's always flowing around so uh, yeah uh, as much as we are talking about the crisis in every crisis lies an opportunity and i think barcelona have a very good opportunity to rebuild and get another era considering that everything works out you have the likes of youngsters like Ansu Fati Pedri and now Gavi Nico Gonzalez and even the likes of Dest uh Frankie De Jong they're not that old you know they're just like in their early 20s and yet to approach their peak so Xavi seriously has something to work uh on his hands so i think Dani Alves is uh return to barcelona makes a little sense in that way chabi might need someone with experience with working with a squad like this and i expect uh, a complete overhaul to happen because uh, as per reports chabi is not pleased with some things going in the club he's already made changes in the administrative division he's you know replaced all the coaching staffs with the staff that he had at alsat even the physios and medical team uh have been replaced so i think there's going to be some changes on the pitch as well and uh with dani alves in particular i think he has a right back in test and sergi roberto has never been a proper right back although he was put in the position but he was always expected to be a midfield player and he prefers to play that as well so uh, for that hint of experience and for a role that he played in his last season at barcelona which was a little bit laid back but nonetheless a very pivotal role in the squad uh, necessarily we could see that uh, jordan henderson playing it although he gets a fair bit of minutes but he's i think his job is does not just end in the pitch it's a bit more broader than that so i think dani alves is going to be utilized in that way in games that you need experience you'll have dani alves in your right back position but at the same time you'll need Uh, to back up Sergio Dest and develop him into someone you can rely on someone you can actually go into uh, uh, you know battles with and the rise of Oscar Mingueza and those guys also helps in this cause um, so it, it's it's i think if Xavi has wanted him if Xavi has approved the thing and if Barcelona have done it 
uh, now that we're seeing a kind of calculated uh, steps being taken in the club, it should be something like that as per my uh, expectations. And uh, let's now come to uh, your question that how might Chavi uh, uh, revive or how might Chavi sweep up? And uh, I- I'll answer this as per the things that I've seen with Alsad and what he does. I would not say he will play in this formation, but I will pick out two or three things that he loves to do with his team. For example, at Alsad, uh, if someone tells you that Alsad have won this this many matches, you know, have won this many titles, I think that's in a way very misleading uh, to just look at the results and not what Xavi has done. Uh, Alsad have always been a fabulous side. They've, they have like seven or eight national team players and they are, in a sense, uh, way par their opponents in the Qatari League. So it, it's necessary to see the things that Chabi intended to do and executed in the team. Uh, normally, teams in Asia play in transitions and, you know, even uh, teams in Qatar play in transitions. But Chabi actually approached it with a possession-based footballing style, which matches uh, Barcelona. So this is the first thing that Barcelona... Uh, we might see in Chavi's Barcelona, they will play with the ball more often and they'll build up from the back. So at Alsad, he did a back three to do that. At Barcelona, it might not necessarily be a back three. It might be a back four, considering the resources he has. So the first things first, we will see Barcelona in a very possession-heavy footballing kind of stuff. And uh, contrary to what we saw in the recent times under the last days under Ronald Koeman where football was a little bit more direct and he even conceded the fact that Barcelona is not the same anymore. There's only so much that I can do. So with Bart Javi, I think that sh- that could change. And another peculiar feature that Javi's side have uh, are they are very good at progressing through the middle and they like to keep the width to do that. Uh, if you remember Pep Guardiola's uh, iconic side, they used to be uh, Pedro Rodriguez or Thierry Henry or even Samuel Eto occupying a wing just to stretch the defense. And at Alsad, he has done that with wingers like Andre Ayu, who made his comeback, this, uh, who uh, came to Alsad this summer, and then Akram Afif. With Barcelona, the presence of players like Ansu Fati and Usman Dembele, he can definitely do that. It's not that they're just occupying the width, but Javi likes to play his wingers. They like to cut in like Iron Roman used to do. So in that regards, his side tend to stress the defense and play it centrally with interiors. And those interiors, I can visualize Gavi or Pedri occupying those positions or even Frankie De Jong doing those stuff. So they, those are the peculiar features that I've noticed of Javi's also. Uh, they have two, two people covering the back line, two midfielders and two interiors. And then the forward line is always, you know, they always like to outnumber the opposition defense and stretch them because they always played a back five. They always faced a side that would prefer a back five or something like that. So these are the peculiar features that I think he would bring to Barcelona. And with the training footages that I've seen, I think that's that's exactly what gonna, what's going to happen. And if you are wondering why he has had so uh, much of praise for Usman Dembele, this is the very precise reason. Dembele can occupy the width and also cut in and do his signature move. So I think that's what he expects from him as well. And Dani Alves, who can also make underlapping runs, is a very good asset to have right now. Sergio Dest can also do that. And uh, let's let's 
stop talking about the youngsters because they are also so 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 good that's a, that's a really good explanation of uh, chavi's uh, you know the way chavi likes his team to play uh, i we, we did a podcast on alsad quite a while back as well when we explained how chavi alsad really played um coming to the second question here who do you think i mean if if chavi manages to get results out i think most of the players are going to be have to be at their best but specifically if you if you had like pick a couple of players i would i'd rephrase detail's question a bit now if you if you had like pick a couple of players who you think might be completely revived completely new under chavi who who do you bet your money on uh with the pace and with what i've seen uh and what his trajectory has been so far in barcelona after coming from borussia dortmund i think it's going to be usman dembele uh because uh, of obvious reasons i i just explained to you about how he uses him and uh with the revival question i would uh, like to join something in there uh with a very possession heavy midfield uh many people might expect ricky puj to make his comeback and after that kind of uh, all it rained cats and dogs for ricky puj under ronald kuman and with the rise of someone like nico gonzales who is very good at what he does and can thread in those diagonal passes and then kavi who is very good for a 17 year old and then pedri who's everyone knows how good he has been for barcelona and franky de jong uh, ricky puj might need to do a little bit well and he might be the player who Uh, might go a little under the radar considering his potential but I- i'm betting my money on usman dembele yet again considering he keeps himself healthy which uh, news from the barcelona camp is that they've uh, started monitoring the diets and they've uh, started imposing fines on players that are coming late and usman dembele has been the first player to pay that fine uh, for chavi's administration so i think he's going to change uh, and he's going to be the one that i would bet my money on but any other midfield player can be a superstar in chavi's system with the pockets of space that he likes to create uh, with those so I- i'm betting my money on dembele but not saying not saying not completely ignoring the fact that anyone in the midfield can step up and steal the show hmm. and we'll we'll finally end the chavi dis- chavi discussion with this question Do you still think Barcelona can get to the Champions League knockouts and do you think they could compete for the league title this season I mean this season I mean uh as a Barcelona fan you don't get to answer these kinds of question that regularly do you you know we're always in for the league title we're always uh, guaranteed a spot in the round of 16 and we're always going for every single trophy that we play but I I will take this rare opportunity and I think Barcelona will advance to the knockout stages of the Champions League honestly saying there is a decent chance and uh, this team does not lack quality it lacks a proper system that uh, utilizes the best of everyone in a sense so I think uh, provided that we do temporary fixes uh, we can get into the knockout stages of the Champions League and for the league title I wouldn't think it's a realistic guess to say that we we will win the league this time around a realistic uh, aim should be to get into the top 3 now or at least finish second uh, our league title would be a bit too ambitious so I'm b- putting my money on Barcelona qualifying for the round of 16 and for the La Liga 
if this is a stretch, but if they manage to do it really well, they can finish second or third. Uh, I'm not yet seeing them uh, winning the league unless uh, the teams at the top mess it up and then uh, a complete shuffle happens, which uh, is very likely in football. But I'm not that optimistic that that shuffle is going to happen this season. Uh, But yeah, this is a long project. And uh, for this time around, uh, winning the Copa del Rey and uh, going to the as far as we can to the Champions League uh, knockout stages and finishing in the top three spots in the league should be a decent enough beginning for Xavi era at Barcelona. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I mean, seeing Barcelona struggle this season under Ronald Koeman, especially the numbers as well, uh, pretty much show Barcelona's struggles. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see how Xavi can, how quickly Xavi can turn around if he does and that's that's going to be it's it's going to be a tough start because you guys play espanol now and then you have a very huge champions league game against benfica that probably could be the decider and then you have you face pelareal after that you go to real you've played real betis if i'm not wrong so it's it is a tricky start for xavi at barcelona and it will be interesting to see uh, in the next few weeks how well barcelona adapt to his methods and how differently they play under Xavi. So that was the first part of today's podcast. The second part is another manager who made the move not that far, quite from the north to the south. Steven Gerrard moving from Rangers to Aston Villa. I honestly didn't see this coming because I felt he was pretty safe at Rangers. He was having a great time at Rangers as well. And dominating Celtic is quite a tough task, to be very honest. And he was able to do that. And he won the league last season, ended Celtic's monopoly. And they are on top of the table right now as well. At this point, although they haven't really had the greatest start to the season, unlike last they went unbeaten last season. They were invincibles in the league. Uh, 32 games. They, they won 32 games out of 38, which is very impressive. He won the Manager of the Year award as well. At Rangers, he's recorded 64 point, around 65% win rate as well. And the most important achievement, I think, I mean, not just, I mean, apart from the league win and dominating once again in the Premiership is... Is the way Rangers have performed in Europe. He's played the likes of Villarreal, Braga, Benfica, Porto, Galatasaray along the way. And they've managed to actually he's managed to actually do really well against these set of teams, which speaks a lot about the way he has, you know, set his team up. So it's really interesting this move. And this is the topic that we're going to discuss right now, Steven Gerrard. What what were your first thoughts, though, Sadish? Yeah, my 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 first thought was as similar to what you said. I I honestly didn't see this coming. Uh, I I thought after Dean Smith, Villa would go for a manager that um, probably had a Premier League experience. Although that thing is, I personally believe it's a little outdated now. But you know, with a with a manager with a Premier League experience would be what uh, Villa would ideally go for. But I, I don't think that's a bad managerial appointment at all. 
uh, I mean, provided with the track record that he has at Rangers. And it's a similar kind of situation with Xavi, except for that Steven Gerrard probably has managed a league that's in a, at a higher stature than the league that Xavi has managed in. So uh, you being a Liverpool fan, I would start with, like, I want to just uh, go into questions and start questioning with itself. So first things first, I think this is the most obvious question. Do you think this is a stepping stone for Steven Gerrard to make a move to Liverpool as a manager someday around? Definitely. I th- I think this is a risky move for him, especially because the Villa job is not going to be easy. It comes with a lot of risk because the owners, they love to spend money. They, they are happy uh, to help the manager strengthen the squad. And with that, definitely comes the risk of, you know, getting into the zone, into the sackable zone, as, as I name it, when, when you know, a few, a few results go heavy. So that's what happened with Dean Smith. And I mean, there are underlying numbers which which aren't really in Villa's favor. And I think sacking Dean Smith probably, parting ways with Dean Smith at this point of time was probably the right decision, in my honest opinion. Although he's, he's back at Norwich now, immediately he's got into a new job. So, but Villa definitely needed a new manager. They did balls to their squad quite a bit. They lost Jack Grealish, who was a huge, huge figure in the team. He actually was the orchestrator of the Villa team last season, a major part in Villa's success last season as well. But they did replace him with a set of players. That's what they tried to do, replace Grealish with multiple players. But that really hasn't worked out. We'll come to that um, when I discuss how... I think Gerard might go on about uh, with this Villa squad, but probably as a Liverpool fan, what I definitely feel is this is the chance to impress Fenway Sports Group. This is the chance to impress FSG. And the funniest part about this whole thing is Gerard's contract at Villa ends at the same time Klopp's contract at Liverpool ends. So you never know if he does well. You never know. Yeah, good catch that one. Good catch. I I didn't know that uh, the two dates coincided with each other. And this might seem like a very realistic situation, provided that Gerard succeeds at Villa. And Aston Villa, after their promotion, you know, Jack Grealish took them to the Premier League. And last season was when they actually punched up their weight. You know, uh, the last couple of seasons, they were killing giants and, you know... against Liverpool too, that performance uh, was... You wouldn't want to remind me. You wouldn't want to remind me about that drumming. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, with the likes of Jack Reelis leading the way. And now that they've kind of lost their main man and uh, Dean Smith with whom they made the journey, uh, now that the two orchestrators have replaced although they have a good goalkeeper and they try to replace Grealish. I wouldn't say a partial replacement, but them signing Emi Bundia was a statement. So how do you think tactically Steven Gerrard might work out since you, I guess you followed Rangers too and uh, with what the resources that Villa have now? I mean, I haven't extensively followed Rangers in the last two seasons, but I've definitely watched a fair few amount of the games and I've seen how Gerrard likes to set up his team. But... To be very honest, I mean, when Gerard stepped up into management and when Gerard actually went to Rangers, I didn't imagine a Steven Gerard's team being defensively solid, 
tactically well disciplined that's how he likes to con- have his team his teams are tactically well disciplined he doesn't lo- like to concede a lot of goals either for a player uh who was who wasn't really the most tactically disciplined in his playing career i was quite rep- surprised to see this is the i mean the approach that gerard had in his manager ca- career you know so that th- this is one example of how a playing career doesn't directly i mean the, the style of players uh playing career doesn't directly translate to when they are managers because they often try to change they often try to learn and change and what i mean before coming into the tactics tactical uh, aspects of gerard's system at rangers i think one important thing to mention here is that his staff has been as important as him he gerard is an unbeckable man manager and you can hear that from all his plays he is so bold in his press conferences as well and i think we're going to see more of that in the premier league now the the could be he is a bit like mourinho at times uh, in press conferences um probably probably not not that's not probably very pleasant but yeah you have to accept the truth but michael beal has been an important important as i mean important important staff of gerard and he is been the brains behind rangers to be very honest and gerard has actually stressed on that point he is a, a really really impressive coach he's worked at chelsea before he's worked at liverpool before as well um with the academy so he is a key figure and gerard has taken him as well as some of his other staff as well from rangers and that's something to be uh that's something i think that that probably works in villa's favor because having beal along with gerard is is, is a huge plus point because he he conducts this training sessions he focuses a lot on the ball and stuff and these are some th- things that certain amount of players have mentioned in the past so that is one important factor and coming to his tactical ideas he normally loves to set up his team in a 4-4-3-3 although i said formations are pretty much outdated that's 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 the shape that he loves his team to play most most often um he did actually uh you know change his uh change, change the way they played at times uh i think in the old firm last season when rangers won i think 4-1 he did like switch into a 4-3-1-2 with um kemar roof and uh, morelos playing up front to up front but it's more of a 433 very well disciplined tactically he he doesn't want his team to concede a lot of a sh- uh, lot of goals it and it's it's really impressive how they just let in 13 goals last season 38 games just 13 goals conceded which is really impressive 102 points amassed in the same period as well although they've like massively massively and i mean overperformed over their xg against last season they just conceded the 13 so he really likes the games to be very you know controlled if that's the right word and i think his midfield he he loves his players to progress the ball very much and there's been like a there's been like changes from the way he when he started at rangers and the last season when he won the league especially if you consider the role of alfredo morelos one of rangers uh, hot strikers he was more of like um more of like you know 
progressive runner along with the ball who used to be there in the box. But last season, you could see him more of being involved uh, in, in involved in build-up, dropping in deeper to connect plays. And he, he he's done more of that in the last in, in, in the last season. So there's been a change of style. He's tried to, you know, add more creativeness in midfield as well. And that's something that's 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 really a blueprint of Gerard's style. And another important thing is that the goals in his team are spread across. So you have you have players contributing or you have players actually scoring goals and registering assists from all around the pitch. James Tavenier, who is a right back, has scored an awful lot of goals under Gerard as well. He has goal scoring from midfield, players scoring from midfield as well. Aribo was one of his most, I think, important players in midfield. He used to keep the midfield tight. He used to collect plays very well. Uh, Ryan Kent, another important part. And how does this translate to Aston Villa? Because it's it's very tricky because Dean Smith this season has tried different formations. They've gone with three at the back at times. They've gone with like 4-3-3. They've gone with like 4-2-3-1 um, at times. Villa signed Danny Ings. Villa signed Leon Bailey, Amy Buendia. All really, really good signings. Danny Ings, I don't think Villa really needed to sign Danny Ings. They could have probably bought in another winger if if it made sense. I didn't. I don't really think Danny Ings was probably the right profile to go for. But they have bought him. They did bring him in. And I think there's been issues actually pairing Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins. I think Dean Smith has tried that quite a few times. And I don't think this like, really, really worked out. One possible avenue for Gerard at Villa would be to continue with the 4-3-3 where, you know, uh, Matt Target on the left, Matty Cash on the right, uh, Esri Consign, Tyron Mings in center, as the center halves, Douglas Lewis sitting, while John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey, who's who's got into the first team, and he's a really, really amazing talent. So Jacob Ramsey um, probably playing the other in, in, as, the, as the other midfielder and this probably might be a bit surprising but I would honestly like to see him like to see him use Ollie Watkins on the left side not as a centre forward Danny Ings up front sorry, yeah Danny Ings up front Ollie Watkins on the side on the left side and Emi Buendia on the right and last season he did actually play Kima Roof mostly I mean the way he set up in in the in the starting formation or whatever positions he assigned at the beginning. He did like put Kemaruf on the right hand side, but it was quite flexible because Alfredo Morelos quite dropped deep, and sometimes he actually provided with when the fullbacks did. And Villa's fullbacks are very well capable of providing with Matty Matty Cash is pretty good at doing that. Matt Target as well. So whenever you don't have the fullbacks providing that, I think Ollie Watkins probably could do that. And because he, he loves drifting wide, he loves coming deeper, Ollie Watkins. And Danny Ings loves to be that poacher in the box. He gets into good areas to score. And Emi Buendia loves to roam around the pitch. And that's been another interesting you know player to watch because... Uh, the, the, there's this person, Maram, on Twitter, Maram per 90 You should all follow her. She did this amazing, amazing um, article, long article on Bendia and as article on Bendia. And it says a lot about how well or how good Emi Bendia is. He was exceptionally good in the championship. He was really good in the Premier League as well when Norwich got relegated two seasons back under Daniel Farka. 
but he did go under the radar quite a bit but he is a hard working player which is something that Gerard would really love and he really wants that in his wide players you would see players he would want players with work rate on the wings if you have Oli Watkins on one side if you have Emi Bendia on the other side you would get that and it would also help him if Emi Bendia could actually move quite inwards and you know help Danny Ings and attack as well and i think he he is someone who can do that and as with Ryan Kent providing you know huge output at ranges i think i think Gerard would honestly see Emi Bendia being that kind of a player for Villa and yeah that's 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 pretty much uh, how i think villa might line up mostly i might be wrong by the way but i see villa lining up that way john mcginn is another player to watch out for under gerard i think he would really love mcginn when he has the ball he is really good at controlling the ball when they are protecting leads he does it he controls the ball really well the problem with villa this season is that they haven't been really able to create a lot they are the they, they they have the fifth worst expected goal difference in the premier league they have the fourth worst expected goals in the premier league as well i think it's behind uh, newcastle norwich and i mean tottenham norwich and newcastle are the only teams behind them tottenham have a completely different story but yeah that 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 is a that is quite horrible to be honest because jack grealish did really provide them with a lot of these creative aspects he did create a lot he was quite uh, high when it came to creating good good quality opportunities good quality shots but villa have lacked that this season they are their expected goals against is quite good but this has been quite bad and again ninth worst in the top 5 leagues in europe and third worst in the premier league in terms of shot quality i measure shot quality by non penalty xg per shot that's that's probably a a fair way to calculate shot quality so they are ninth worst in europe's top five leagues as well so they have a lot of work to do when it comes to attack that's something that they've fallen behind and i think with gerard they would really really love to have that they, they would really i think pick up on that quite quickly considering the squad profile they have yeah i mean a very very comprehensive analysis that you uh, gave us right there ritwik um since we're talking about villas was and how they have struggled in their last days with team smith uh, we've talked about them not creating enough and not finding that matching profile uh, that they had in jack relish that driving force and creating the shots but let's look at the other angle of it although they they're actually against is not as bad but they have considered a goal every 30 minutes this campaign and i think that might be a, an area that uh, gerard might have to work on the best because you know uh, up front you have players that can create their own and then you can fix those problems but defense in this case especially when your side is not creating enough and not scoring and not getting quality chances uh, tightening up the defense remains as one of the forefront and with what i've heard about and with what i've contemplated out of gerard's tenure at rangers is he's also a very attack heavy manager he likes to keep his sides attacking and although rangers were spended at the back 
but still it looks like an attack heavy system so with uh, villa and with the resources that he has how do you think this problem with defense can be solved or how do you think he will at least approach the problem i think with esri konsa and tyron mings he does have quite a stable or quite a solid center back pair esri konsa was actually uh one of the best center backs in the league last season to be honest um, he's not that good on the ball but he's he is solid uh, defensively he is pretty good uh, aerially uh, he can he can track runs pretty well he anticipates uh, uh, offenses pretty well as well so i think having esri konza and tyron mings as the center back pairing is 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 solid enough and they did do quite well last season with the same same pair and same full back same set of full backs they have made quite a few defensive errors this season um and there's been like i said uh, dean smith has tried different stuff to to try and make make it work with ings and watkins and even when ings and watkins haven't been been paired together he's tried different uh, different base he's tried different shapes uh, with the team and i don't think i don't think there's been proper solidity they've been quite open at times even in midfield uh, they've been very passive at times as well uh, especially i think against west ham they were quite passive uh, when they got um, when they got hammered by the hammers so so that's 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 one thing he would need to fix and i think he does have like a pretty good squad profile to start with however i would honestly see him um probably looking for a few i mean few reinforcements in january probably at least a midfielder pretty much i guess and that probably might be the only piece of business that villa do um in in um in january because they were uh, linked with uh, emil smith smith row out of all people uh, in the summer and they really wanted arsenal to sell him which is like quite quite surprising to be honest and i see i th- i think it's it's again an attempt to get as much as creative uh, you know creative players in to replace chat grealish which i don't think is probably the right way to go but with gerard in now i think he would kind of have like a profile he really loved ryan kent by the way um and he would love an explosive uh, winger who's 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 really good with his feet with with the ball at his feet and with wendia you don't get that pace but you get a player who's who's very much creative so that that that's from that's why i really kind of you know linked uh, kent and wendia quite some minutes back uh, so probably uh, a midfield player or a winger is what i see him going for leon bailey again is is like an interesting um, you know an interesting proposition because he is a very explosive winger by the way but his work rate is quite you know questionable so it would be interesting to see how how he uses leon bailey at times they have anwar ghazi as well um, trezeguet i think is injured if i'm not wrong or or has he left I'm, i'm not 100% sure about that but anwar ghazi is, is another option so they do have quite a few options like i said defensively it's 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 about getting the structure perfectly done um uh, filling the holes they've been passive most 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 importantly in 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 a, in a way in a lot of games this season and that's they, they've been way too open i i i really expect gerard to take get that 
fixed initially. It might not happen really quickly, but I think probably in the next one or two months, if he doesn't do that, it's going to be a problem. It's it's going to be a problem for him. Yeah, since we've discussed about what he could do and what he will do, let's come to our last question, what he needs to do. Uh, as things stand after five consecutive defeats, Villa find themselves just two points above the relegation zone. And after having perhaps, uh, you know, the most luxurious transfer window in their history, uh, you know, they find themselves just two points above the relegation zone. And a realistic target for them at the start of the season was to qualify for Europe. But they're not that short of a European spot, like just six points uh, from the European spot. And with 27 games to go, I think in a league like Premier League, that's a pretty realistic uh, aim to look at. So how do you think Steven Gerrard should approach this situation since uh, fans at Villa Park would be expecting still their, for their side to go on and represent uh, England at Europe? So uh, what are your take on this uh, very situation, what Gerrard is expected of and what he needs to do as per the Villa fans and the sentiment all around? I think Europe is is the target for Aston Villa. To be very honest, that that has been the target for them from last season. Um, that's what they really want to build on. They want to get into that European spot and then take it from there. They have Brighton coming up this Saturday, which is a very tricky fixture. Brighton are impressive. Graham Potter is impressive. Then they play Crystal Palace, who've surprisingly been very good this season under. Patrick Vieira. Patrick Vieira was was, was not that good at at least uh, in Ligon, but surprisingly he's done really well um, here at Palace. Then they play Man City, which is going to be a very tough fixture. Then they have Leicester again, another tough game. Liverpool after that at Anfield, it's going to be really emotional, but again another tough game for him. So he has he has a tough start. To be honest, relatively tough start, but I think it's about getting some points on the board right now to show. If he if he kind of gets his gets the underlying numbers to improve, that's a good sign, and that's something I think he would need to work on, especially creating good chances, because that's 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 one of the important things that they've been missing in terms of pressing. I think they've been pretty much. In the, in the in the same level last season and this season, so there's not much change in that. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's about improving, you know, the 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 basics initially. That that would honestly mean that their underlying numbers would actually probably get better. It's it's a tough start for him, so I don't really expect him to like score as much as uh, score as many points as they can. Man City is a tough fixture. Liverpool is a tough fixture. If you look at the next five games, yeah, Brighton, uh, Palace, Man City, Leicester, Liverpool. If we manage to get at least like seven points there out of of possible 15, that's 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 a decent start. But but I think at the end of the season, if Villa finishes in the top half comfortably, I think that's that could be like a you know a positive start. Gerard at Villa and next season I think he would be expected to finish in a in a European spot the Conference League or or maybe the Europa League so yeah Conference League probably would be the right place to start for Villa yeah I mean very well articulated that one so since uh, we've talked about two new appointments and two very good players and I think 
uh, if uh, even if they become half as good as managers as they were as players, I think they're going to be some of the best coaches in the world. So uh, with what we've discussed today, let's come back to uh, the point where we started this and wrap up this podcast. Uh, I read, uh, I'm a subscriber of On Soccer newsletter by Rory Smith, who is uh, the New York Times soccer writer, or I would call it football, at least, uh, you know, this from this podcast, I would, you know, urge the athletic to sign everyone and then start, uh, you know, make them start calling it football as they have done with uh, John Muller. Uh, now, uh, let, let's come to a serious discussion, you know, uh, on soccer, uh, the issue that uh, came out like two or three weeks ago, I had a very valid point and very valid discussion when Barcelona were going for Xavi and the likes of other former players were being uh, eyed as serious candidates for managerial job, whereas someone like Marcelo Gerardo, who's doing a very good job at Liverpool, uh, is not that much of a viable experience for European clubs just because he does not have a European spot, but he's done almost everything that a club should ideally look in a manager. So with Xavi coming in at Barcelona, with Steven Gerrard coming in at Aston Villa, uh, and Frank Lampard already departing Chelsea after taking the Rams, and Ole Gunnar Schalksar's job also in threat game by game, I would say. Uh, do you think skipping the coaching ladder and bringing in players in hopes of finding the new Guardiola, as I would say, a Guardiola syndrome. Is it affecting uh, how the whole managerial job is circulating around the year? Quite possibly so, because, uh, yeah, this is this is quite a new trend, to be honest. Um, um, yeah, this, this is this is a quite interesting question, to be honest. Just like a not to think on this, because I've not read this article, to be, on, uh, to be frank, so... Uh, I've not really pondered about this, but yeah, this is a very interesting question to think about and I would need to think about it because this is a very uh, serious, not, I, I wouldn't say probably serious, but this is a very curious, uh, yeah, curious point to so, ponder about yeah. because clubs are moving in that direction. But I think when it comes to top clubs, I wouldn't necessarily think they would just appoint a big club, a big, uh, a former player. If, if I mean for the sake of getting it, unless you are like Manchester United or Barcelona, whose whose board have made like terrible decisions in the last few <laughs> years, especially Manchester United. Sorry, United fans, this is actually not me being a Liverpool fan, having a dig on United. That's been the reality for the last how many I don't know since Sir Alex Ferguson left, even even before that I guess. So so it's I I don't I don't really see this. Uh, being a trend in the future because there'll, there'll still be really good managers, people like Graham Potter, Eric Ten Hag. Um, you saw how Julian Nagelsmann had to like find his way and get to buy in Munich. Um, you would see, I think, managers like that, uh, you know, earning their way to a managerial job. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting interesting uh, point to ponder about. Because I don't have much to say right now. I can't really think of much to say right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this might be a really good uh, podcast topic in itself. And uh, just final thoughts before finishing the podcast on this issue that we're discussing about. Uh, I think it buys them some time, if even if they fail at a club. Uh, if you look at how Frank Lampard left Chelsea, you know, it was not the fans that were 
impatient with him. Uh, whereas any other manager you put in the shoes, they might possibly be uh, a little bit impatient. Like, you know, you put in a manager and they would be like, where are the results? But with Frank Lampard, it was kind of different. And I think the sacking only happened because it was Chelsea and Roman Abramovich runs the club. Uh, everyone was kind of dismayed with the fact that uh, Frank Lampard was sacked. Uh, but I think it's a quick fix kind of situation right now for European clubs. Uh, Juan Laporta resorted to Xavi, who was uh, basically his uh, rival in his elections. Xavi was very vocal about supporting Victor Font. And unless you were not left with any other option to make, uh, you would not go to someone who would uh, support his uh, your rival, right? And during uh, the previous time, you know, Pep Guardiola was also not the one who supported Joan Laporta during uh, the, 20, uh, the early 2000 election. He was also in another candidate's favor, but he brought in Guardiola and it, and it reaped benefits. So right now as well, it was the last resort. And with Manchester United as well, they uh, parted ways with Jose Mourinho. And even though they appointed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as their caretaker manager, but since day one, there was a very hard feeling and very firm feeling inside the club that Ole was going to be at the will, in a sense, you know. So uh, it's, it's a complex, and we might have gotten a podcast uh, topic in itself there. You know, you can ask us questions and we can discuss about it further. But this was a very uh, fruitful discussion. A Barcelona fan talking about Xavi's return and a Liverpool fan talking about Gerard coming back to Premier League and uh, perhaps... Uh, setting his first foot into getting that Liverpool job. Uh, it, it was a very fun session, as always. And it, it's been more than an hour since we chatted, uh, since we started talking about it. And this was only supposed to be a 30-minute episode, you guys. <laughs> and we will wind up the podcast right now. Thank you so much to all our listeners for tuning in to our podcasts. We were absent last week because we couldn't really find a time to record last week. But... Yeah, we will be recording again next week on something interesting that we find. Until then, bye-bye. Take care.